tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Hello and welcome back to the Spike Podcast. I'm Fraser Myers and with me in the studio this week, we have Spike's editor, Tom Slater. Hello. And Spike columnist, Ella Whelan. Hi. Coming up on today's show, the downfall of Nicola Sturgeon, the killing of Brianna Jai and the unrest in Nosley. So Nicola Sturgeon has resigned after eight years as First Minister of Scotland. She said in her resignation speech that she'd essentially run out of energy. She um, doesn't want to subject her family to the pressures of political life anymore. And she was pretty adamant that this had nothing to do with any what she called short-term pressures. Now, Tom, do you buy that? I mean, there were some pretty serious short-term pressures Mm. on her, namely the gender row. No, I think that speech was an incredible act of kind of obfuscation and, you know, uh, essentially trying to play the victim as well, really. But I think the idea that this had nothing to do with what she euphemistically called the short-term pressures, but really were the whole debacle over her gender bill, which had seen her authority unravelling for a matter of weeks now, is ridiculous. It's quite clearly the thing that whilst there are many factors, there are many things that were leading her to kind of run out of road in various different respects. I think mm-hmm. her kind of her general political project in all sorts of ways was like colliding with political reality as well as just general common sense. But this was certainly the most significant thing in recent weeks. And I don't think that should be downplayed. Obviously, I'm sure we'll get into the question of what this means for independence, yeah. about what it means for the SNP, about what that means for British politics more broadly. But the idea that this was some sort of frippery, that it was just the straw that broke the camel's back, I don't think appreciates how significant this particular row was. Mm. I mean, row is a kind word for it. I mean, the way in which it not only, I think, kind of destroyed any claim she might have had to being a kind of progressive political leader as far as shredding women's rights, again, denouncing any critics as just kind of bigots who shouldn't be listened to, but also it just it just looked crazed. I think in the yeah. figure of someone like Nicola Sturgeon, you really see, particularly by dint of this embrace of woke ideology more broadly, that it's that despite all this claims that they're the, the sensible people, they're the adults in the room, they're actually wedded to some incredibly batty and damaging ideas. And yeah. I think this is one of those things which really just exploded any claims she had to being a kind of credible political figure as much as anything else, as well as just showing how big the gap was between her in particular, but the Scottish political ruling class more broadly, and ordinary Scottish people who have reacted very strongly to these reforms ever since they first learned about them, really. Definitely. So there's a clip I want to show now, which I think is where we can really pinpoint um, the exact moment that it all fell apart, um, where she essentially struggles to say whether a man who raped two women is a man or a woman. Trans women are, are women, but in the prison context, there is no automatic right for a trans woman. So there are contexts where a trans woman is not a woman? No, there is... <laughs> there is circumstances in which a trans woman uh, will be housed in the male prison estate. Is there any the context in which a woman born as a woman will be housed in the male estate? Look, we're talking here about trans women. And I'm now asking about women born as women. Uh, I don't think there are circumstances there, uh, but... So it's different for trans women? Well, yes, and I, I'm not... So there, Ella, you know, we have someone, Nicola Surgeon was such a kind of canny operator, never lost for words. They're, you know, stumbling over 
what should be the most basic question in the world you know is this man a man or is he a woman yeah I mean I was listening to Alex Salmond on um the radio who you know okay might be a little bit biased in his assessment of Nicholas Dudge but certainly knows her very well and he made the point that the the sort of so much of her success is that she is such a clear communicator mm. she was never tripped up she was extremely confident and she's just been rendered a sort of blabbering mess um in relation to this um whole row over gender i mean it's really important as well that to you know towards the latter stages of the last few weeks she didn't even have the confidence to defend her own position because yeah. of the fact that we were talking about such an obvious case of a man raping two women that she then couldn't, you know, describe and be confident in her own idea of gender ideology and self-ID and all that sort of thing. So she just basically said nothing. Um, and I think everybody knows that that's quite, you know, a significant reason of why she's resigning. But also I think, you know, it's important to note the sort of failure of the dream of independence, yeah. which is that she own, you know, not so long ago said that the next Westminster election was going to be a referendum on independence. It was all, you know, guns blazing and it's pretty clear to everyone now that that is, you know, if she did carry on with that line that it was going to be incredibly embarrassing. So I think it looks to most people like a sort of a sort of a cowardly exit. Mm. Um, you know, we're all human. We understand that, okay, like she said, she's 53, been in politics for, you know, decades, might be sick and tired of it. But at this moment, you know, it seems, seems like a strange moment. And, you know, it's been pretty sick making listening and reading all the sort of tributes, the delusional tributes actually from some people about, you know, number one, why Nicholas Surgeon's such a inspiration to women and girls. Mm. Like you said, like Tom says, she doesn't know what woman is. Yeah, completely ignoring the, as Tom says, the shredding of women's rights that she's just been engaged in in the last, um, you know, for the last few months, but also that she was you know, such a successful politician. This is the leader of the SNP that has been routinely unsuccessful in terms of, you know, the Scottish healthcare system, in terms of passing legislation, you know, it's the, the SNP of a list, as long as your arm, of failed and bad legislation from the name person scheme to the gender reform bill more recently. So, uh, you know, just because somebody's in a position for a long time doesn't make them a successful politician. One, th I mean, one thing those kind of commentators, those sort of centrist commentators are bought into is this idea that she's compassionate, that she yeah. cares about the people of Scotland. But Tom, I mean, doesn't her record really say otherwise? Of course it does. I mean, and not just on the gender questions. Mm. I think it's interesting. I think that some of the kind of plaudits, I mean, obviously, Nicola Sturgeon and the SNP more broadly have dominated Scottish politics for a very long time now. Yeah. It's kind of signal achievement. I mean, it's been more or less a one-party state for so long, which at this point has led to all kinds of scandals building up, which of course has been impacted upon her particular decision. I'm sure there's some things coming down the track which are probably going to bite as well. But there's also in the kind of, but as Ella was saying, you know, also what are these kind of great progressive success stories that they want to point to because not mm. only do you have obviously people hold up the gender recognition bill but if you think that's progressive then you need your head examining as yeah. far as i'm concerned there was also just a general treatment of who would traditionally be considered the progressive constituency ordinary people working class people were basically always treated as a problem to be managed by the smp mm. um, their embrace of every kind of authoritarian wheeze going if you're talking about the hate crime bill criminalizing even dinner table conversations you know this is before nicholas surgeon's time but one of the most shocking and kind of first things the SNP did when they came to power was pass laws that allowed them to lock up offensive football fans and yeah. things like this. 
uh, let alone the kind of name person scheme, which a lot of people have forgotten about now because it was thankfully defeated. But this attempt to introduce a kind of state guardian for every child in Scotland, which um, again kind of projects a complete contempt for ordinary people. And then also, if you think about the things that the guardian of the observer might care about, I mean, Nicola Sturgeon made things like closing the educational attainment gap between rich and poor in Scotland one of her key tests. Mm. And it's as wide as it's ever been. Life expectancy is dropping at historic rates at the moment. People of the state, the Scottish NHS is even worse than it is in England and so on. So I think in so many ways, the plaudits speak to the fact that amongst the kind of liberal left in general, they really do sort of practice, you could call it politics as vibes as people do on the internet as far as because they just present themselves as cuddly and progressive that's good enough for them, yeah. regardless of what the actual policy outcomes are. Just kind of a Jacinda figure. It's exactly like Jacinda, exactly. yeah. Very similar in that respect. But then also, if you kind of look at it a different way, in a sense, it's like that. the reason I appreciate it is because she was a figure in the culture war, mm. the anti-Brexit culture war, the gender culture war, and so on. So even though they might, and even in her speech, she kind of implied that she was partly brought down because there are all these kind of divisive culture warriors out there who don't, who want to caricature her. In a weird sort of sense, I think the reason she was held up so much is less for what it is that she was supposed to have set out to achieve, because if you're talking about independence, gender reform or anything else, a lot of that light is in tatters at this point. Mm. But her significance as a kind of, in a sense, as a cultural war figure in Britain was almost what cemented it for her. I mean, we should talk a bit about that, you know, it, the, the sort of hollowness of, I guess, the Scottish independence push, because it did just seem like a culture war against England or a kind of culture war against Brexit, Brexit against yeah. Brexit and the English Tories and things like that. There wasn't really any kind of um, democratic substance. It wasn't really a push for sovereignty in any meaningful sense, as far as I can tell. Well, yeah, in most, you know, I think even um, people who are sort of fervently pro-Scottish independence will admit that a large part of that sort of of that vote and that political view is an anti-Westminster view. It's a ver- it's a kind of a negative um, way of looking at it, which is we hate Westminster. There's a little bit of anti-English sort of stuff thrown in there. Um, and, you know, certainly a lot of kind of, at the time when he was prime minister, anti-Boris stuff, um, which, you know, if you strip it away and actually if you ever... If, if Scotland did vote to be independent, what would be left in terms of the positive vote for independence would be very little. And mm-hmm. that's why they lean on, um, you know, relationships with the European Union. Everybody knows that European Union is sort of like, you know, don't place your bets on us because it's not certain that we're going to let you in. That's the kind of an, an awkward situation for, I'm sure, Nicola Sturgeon and people recognise, which is that, no, you know, nothing's certain in relation yeah. to that. Well, you wouldn't want to be in an independent. You would be, you'd immediately give away your independence, you know, suddenly. Yeah, but 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 the thing is that that doesn't seem, it's, it's the Scottish independence row is interesting because it doesn't seem to, because of the sort of delusions around Brexit and the fact that, you know, hardcore anti-Brexit remainers like Nicola Sturgeon can't get their head around the concept of sovereignty or the concept of why um, independence in relation to, you know, trades, laws, borders would be a good thing. Um, They, you know, they they can't see the contradiction in arguing for a sovereign state and Mm. independence and freedom and, you know, brave heart and all that kind of stuff. And then at the same time, um, signing up to, you know, give that all away to to the European Union. But I think, you know, it will be interesting to see who's going to be able to come in and fill her shoes because so much of, you know, the two figures who sort of stood for um, Scottish independence in, you know, was Alex Salmond, who's, you know, know, semi-disgraced and in his own sort of party, and Nicola Sturgeon. Um, And with the two of them sort of out of the picture in different ways, 
uh, there's no, you know, and the list of people that are are being touted and sort of the columns and uh, reporting over the last 24 hours, most of them you're like, who? You know, yeah. Who's that? Yeah. I think the top candidate's got about 7% support among yeah. SNP members. Yeah. Good I'm luck sh- to her. Yeah, I'm sure the don't know is probably racing ahead at this point. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, it is striking how independence, despite the kind of SNP dominance of Scottish politics, both in Holyrood and, and Westminster for a long time now, the failure of it on a kind of just a basic political strategy level, you know. So mm. when they lose the referendum in 2014, although they make up a lot of ground that people that a very complacent, you know, stay in campaign didn't really think was going to happen. Um, you know, they lose 45, 55. I mean, the huge poll by Lord Ashcroft the other week found that the numbers, if anything, have edged up in favour of the union, not by much, you know, mm. by about one percentage point, but still, over all of that time, and with the gift of what they thought was the gift of Brexit, the gift of Boris Johnson in number 10 Downing Street. Um, They've categorically failed to be able to kind of move the dial on this particular question. And also every kind of attempt to try and carve out that second referendum, Nicholas Sturgeon is a big fan of second referendums, as we know, has just completely failed. So obviously Mm. you had an attempt to kind of just legislate for one, not by the Supreme Court in pretty humiliating fashion, not least because they tried to mount it on this historically illiterate basis that they were basically a kind of a press colony, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which was mocked and derided and so on. And then, as Ella was talking about, this, this uh, attempt to just say the next election is going to be a de facto referendum. Um, about a fifth of Scots support that <laughs> particular yeah. plan. Um, and so on that kind of political strategic level, which is completely blown up in her face. But then also you do... The more important thing, as you've both been talking about, is the fact that, you know, what is independence for if you want to go and join the European Union? Mm. You, know, you know, just basically became a campaign to join an empire rather than leave one as far as they yeah, yeah. concerned. And then also a lot of the other stuff that we're talking about, you know, this is supposedly about, supposed to be, or should, you would think, be a movement for popular sovereignty amongst Scots. They don't trust Scots to feed their own children yeah. unguided. Why would you trust them to steer their nation? So that contradiction, it was always going to kind of show itself. And I think it has. And it's not to say that um, people should be complacent about the union. I think one thing that was shown with the independence vote, as well as the kind of battles over gender, or a lot of work issues or whatever, is that the old establishment, the kind of great British-wide establishment, if you like, have proven themselves completely incapable yeah. of pushing back against these poisonous new elites, if you like. Mm. We saw that with the Scottish independence movement. I think we saw that with wokeness more broadly as well. So nothing, you know, no one can be complacent about that. But I think it's certainly fair to say that in her leaving the stage, it's been a significant blow to that independence movement because it represents a kind of significant defeat for any attempt to make that happen not least because as i say it was all the kind of timbers of it were rotten to begin yeah. with i think in so many ways well the irony is that of course towards the end she found something an independent scotland would be able to do not inside the united kingdom which is uh, let people change their gender mm-hmm. at age 16 by self-declaration alone turns out scots don't actually want that yeah. <laughs> which um again demonstrates her sort of lack of strategic nous. I think she thought that she could make a kind of um anti-westminster culture war out of that rather than you know scots saying uh, no, thanks. Thank you, Rishi Sunak, for blocking this crazy mm. bill. That is mad when you think about it. She thought that issue would drive a wedge between Westminster and Scots. The comp- precise opposite happened. Mm. In blocking that bill, it, if anything, drove more of a wedge between Scots and Nicola Sturgeon. You know, aside from the rights and wrongs, I mean, I think the pr- the presentation of that Section 35 order as this is trying to thwart the will of the Scottish people when obviously it was about this bill having a knock-on impact across GB and et cetera, but still... yeah. And even, again, all the kind of commentators down south being, cut, this will only blow up for Rishi Sunak. I mean, once again, a lot of bad takes are being, you know, re-aired now. 
Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. A transgender teenager was found dead in a park in Warrington on Saturday. 16-year-old Brianna Jai uh, was stabbed to death. Uh, two suspects have been arrested, um, both 15, a boy and a girl, in connection to the killing. Quite quickly, this tragedy was leapt on, um, weaponized, I think it's fair to say. Um, there have been vigils come protests. I mean, immediately it's been folded into the culture wars and pretty much anyone apart from the suspects, it seems, is to is to blame for this death if you if you if you go by what's being written on Twitter. Thomas, what have you made of that kind of response? I thought it's been stomach turning, really. I mean, what you have here is a horrible tragedy um, of alleged murder, mm. which has befallen a, a family. And yet you can almost hear people kind of rubbing their hands with glee. I hate to put it like that, but you can almost yeah. feel people rubbing their hands with glee as soon as they saw this because they thought it could be folded into the culture war because they thought, here we have something that we can use to bash people that we disagree with on yeah. questions of gender recognition reform in Scotland or on questions of the gender debate more broadly. I mean, almost immediately, quite prominent people in the kind of trans activist set were explicitly saying that Westminster had blood on their hands. Um, There was a piece in The Independent, which I thought was absolutely shameful, which essentially said, we don't yet know if anti-trans hate is a part of this story mm. the police it's still an air investigation it's not been closed but at the same time it's not been it's not been confirmed or reported on but and then it's just we couldn't help but feel that this was coming and that since the Tory leadership race to yeah. the gender recognition discussion to this to that these people have blood in the hands and this keeps happening mm. and I think what's where you basically have some sort of horrendous killing tragedy atrocity whatever and it's just very quickly weaponized basically to the ends of I dislike this person yeah. In public life, politics, I'm going to blame them because they've expressed a reasonable concern that vaguely relates to this issue. The fact that in this case, again, no kind of anti-trans hate component has been located hasn't stopped it in any way, shape or form, Yeah, um, which is makes it even more shameless. But at the same time, I think it also just speaks to the fact that it almost everything gets swallowed up by the culture or even these kind of very particular human tragedies. You know, there's no restraint. Mm. And obviously, when we talk about the culture, well, a lot of important issues are bound up in that. But I guess what I'm getting at is to say that there's a lot of discussion these days about how people weaponize certain issues, about the the mean-spiritedness of, say, our side of a lot of these discussions and so on. But I, I see no equivalent in mainstream political discourse to the sort of behavior that we've seen in recent days when yeah. it comes to this, to people who, as soon as they see an atrocity like this, just their almost immediate reaction is to use a dead body as a soapbox. And that is deeply unpleasant and i think people should be called out for doing that and it's it's come offline as well i mean we can look at a clip now of um people at a vigil for brianna jai making their feelings known about keir starmer essentially Ella, you know keir starmer is being accused of having blood on his hands because he's not completely 100% on board with self-ID for 16-year-olds. I mean, what does that say about the kind of level of debate where things have, you know, how low have things sunk? And it's also, I mean, he's also been accused of being complicit because he hasn't, or he hadn't at that point in the vigil, said anything about um, the alleged murder of Brianna Jai. And 
it's re- it's you know it has echoes of the whole kind of silence as violence mm-hmm. argument from um the murder of George Floyd in fact actually a lot of the uh some of the signs and some of the chants at that vigil were very similar so there was a kind of um lots of people saying say her name which was something that came out of a kind of black lives matter movement around some of the police killings um in in America and it's just so incredibly unspecific um you know there is there there is nothing really as i can see it that would obviously have the proviso that we don't know anything but it seems bizarre that you would find a link between the killing of george floyd and the killing of this um trans school teenager and you know there's something as tom says really sort of worrying about it and really distasteful. I mean, on a human level, this is a child that's been killed and, um, you know, parents who don't have their their child anymore. And that's a terrible thing. And there's been the sort of a row online about how this is being reported. Mm-hmm. And obviously the family want to stay true to how Brianna, um, you know, described herself and called herself. They want they just you know use she her pronouns and all that kind of thing. But at the same time, there is this sort of slight difficulty with. I was listening to the radio and it was reported that a schoolgirl had been killed, and obviously that's inaccurate. And so there's it's it's one of those you know issues that I think most sensible people say, okay, let's just let's let's not have our kind of Twitter row about um pronouns let's not have our twitter row about or, or about the kind of gender reform build you know someone's been killed but as tom says you know some people never rest yeah. and there is just it's it can be <laughs> it can be incredibly sort of difficult to find yourself constantly defending yourself as a good person when you're you know a, a commentator who's talking about or someone you know anyone who's thinks that very normal things that you know people should be able to live however they want to live and respectfully and and you know with freedom and all the rest of it but just not pretend that sex isn't real you know mm. just you know it's like you're sort of begging just just let me sort of I, I'll give you everything you want but just let me stay in reality here um and to i think we really have to be careful to not let the sort of demonization of the i want to say not gender critical side just the sort of the side of most people yeah. who whose heart breaks for that family but at the same time is not going to be cowed into silence on the base and we've had this you know similarly with sort of um you know the whole kind of argument around suicide rates of trans people and you know it's it basically what it boils down to is shut up or we'll claim that you are murderous and have blood on your hands you know moving forward any kind of broader discussions about um the gender wars i don't think should be cowed by incidents it's, like this yeah it essentially seems that you know as we were talking about in scotland earlier the kind of um gender ideology argument has been pretty comprehensively trashed when it's been discussed rationally when it's you know been discussed in the courts or in sort of parliamentary settings when it when it's discussed at the higher political level so now we have to turn to this kind of emotional blackmail almost it's the that seems to be the is that why they've leapt on it with such glee i don't i mean i I think that's part and even just moving away from this particular tragedy as well i think you do start to see some of the more prominent people on the other side of this argument are becoming increasingly over the top and true i mean even with nicola surgeon we saw a kind of example of this where when she was really on the back foot when again she was kind of dealing with brickbats left right and center when her whole argument and authority was unraveling Mm. 
she does the basket of deplorables thing. You know, she yeah. calls everyone, they're not just transphobes, they're often homophobic. Some of them are even racist. You know, there's a certain individual I won't name who's been going around recently likening gender critical women to the KKK because they're yeah. also people who protect women was their, um, again, in their case, much more devious kind of, you know, way of prosecuting their particular bigoted argument. These are not arguments you make when you're winning. Mm. These are not these are not shameful tactics that you deploy <laughs> if you're actually, you know, on the right side of history and most people in the country recognize this. So I think the more, as you suggest, that the gender ideology argument is kind of defeated in public or has certain setbacks at least, the the lower some of the more prominent activists in this tend to sink. But I think it only it might again shame some people into keeping quiet on certain things here or there, and that's regrettable. But I think in general, it just continues to display that for all their claims to be incredibly morally virtuous, that's not really what's going on here with this particular campaign. And, and one thing it is, it is worth pointing out the fact that you know tragedies like the Brianna Shai one are, are mercifully rare. That it's it's good news that there isn't a you know mass killings of trans people as is often claimed. In fact, before. Before uh, Brianna Jai, um, the last trans person in Great Britain to be killed was in 2019. Roughly, you know, if you take into account the size of the trans population, uh, a regular everyday person is slightly more likely to be murdered. So, you know, these claims of of victimhood seem to be all that there is, in a sense. That mm. seems to be the argument. Trans people suffer, therefore, uh, we must bend reality to it and it's not appropriate well there, i mean a similar thing happened when um sarah everard was murdered which is that there there's a real tendency a kind of macabre tendency to jump on something you know an incident that happens like that and extrapolate from it to try and make some kind of broader political and moral point mm. i mean you know the, the the first thing i thought when i heard it is well, you know allegedly that that you know you potentially have the situation in which kids are killing each other what's going on there you know um i mean that's for a whole another podcast yeah. but there's you know and then the same thing happened with the sarah everard murder there was this kind of huge discussion about sort of um women's safety and broad you know allegations made about patriarchy and misogyny and then it turns out to be a very specific case of a specific police officer and it and you know actually kind of you know discussions about consent classes had absolutely nothing to do with it um you know who knows whether that will be the case here we we, the, we wait to see what the police find out but they're just, they're just you know you should be ashamed of yourself if you think that there is um you know political sort of battles to be won off the back of people being killed particularly when we don't know anything yet and finally, let's talk about the unrest in Knowsley in Merseyside. So around 400 people turned up to protest outside a hotel that was hosting um, asylum seekers. And um, within a few hours, things started to turn ugly. A few people turned up with hammers, with fireworks, essentially started rioting, set fire to a police car. A couple of people have in, were injured. Um, 15 people have been arrested. I suppose similar to the last story, immediately the the blame game began, and it's all uh, apparently Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary's mm. fault. What did you make of that? I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, Knowles, as far as I understand it, I mean to call it a Labour stronghold is putting it lightly. I think mm. about eighty percent Labour vote at the last general election. These numbers that make Kim Jong Un sort of you know blush um, to suggest that people in Merseyside are going home and just listening endlessly to interviews with Suella Braverman, hanging on her every word seems strange to say the least. Um, but again, it's just that kind of reflex, which is something unpleasant happens and how can we pin it on our political enemies? And then the other thing which seems to happen is this kind of reflexive desire to 
again, kind of ignore any of the kind of problems that this particular case has yeah. arisen. There's some discussion of it, but it was very quickly painted as basically just a far right protest. Mm. Um, even though even Hope Not Hate have pointed out that this seems to seem to be kind of organically a lot of um, women and children, which then got kind of hijacked by thugs later on in the night. Yeah, thugs who, t- who actually didn't seem to be kind of outside agitators, but actually lived locally. Lord knows what their motivation is. I'm sure we'll find out in time. But a kind of refusal to believe that there are particular problems with the failing asylum system that we have, mm. which is both failing the people got up in it as well as the communities who are finding again kind of being made to basically bear the brunt of government incompetence on this particular question. You know, Knowsley's is a is a is a kind of archetypal example insofar as it's a very deprived local authority. I think it's the third most deprived in the country. You know, about half the kids are on free school meals. And this is the sort of community in which migrant hotels, et cetera, tend to be. Yeah. They're cheaper. So yeah. there is this, you know, there was a case like in last year, Knowsley local authority get 48 hours notice saying that we're going to take over this particular hotel. And again, rather than actually the big in the context of a lack of investment in a particular area, poor mm. job prospects and so on. And also the fact that, as we know, the asylum system is creaking. You know, yeah. this is not a successful system of finding out who legitimate asylum seekers are, integrating them into society and so on. It's really not working. So when there are these kind of flare-ups, rather than trying to address what are some of the legitimate concerns, obviously this was sparked by a particular encounter, yeah. alleged encounter between a 15-year-old girl and a 25-year-old seemingly asylum seeker propositioning her, that was immediately dismissed as just misinformation, even though it's something that Liverpool Echo have reported yeah. on, that the police are investigating because there are eyewitnesses to it and so on. We don't know what really went on there. That's obviously not, that should never be the pretext to suggest that all asylum seekers are a risk yeah. to young girls or women or whatever. But again, the kind of just reflexive, oh, this is just far right misinformation. These people are just getting stirred up. The refusal to really look at, it's in in a weird sort of way lets the government off the hook. You know, it almost mm. just sort of says the problem here is the mob rather than the obvious failings of this particular system. But, um, you know, once again, you just see the willingness just to look past the details, use it as an opportunity to either have a knock at the Tories or have a knock at white working class people. Yeah. That's always what they prefer to take, it seems like, in terms of the commentary. And Ella, you know, Tom's talking there about the, the video. You know, it was... We've, we have no idea whether it's true or not, but rather than saying this was unverified or something like that, it was immediately cast as misinformation, potentially, you know, what happens to sort of believe women? That seems to go out the window of these kinds of, of cases. I'm yep. not saying we should necessarily um, believe everything we see on the internet. No, but the, I mean, the thing about we shouldn't always believe everything on the internet, we're always told by that. We're always by these kind of, um, you know, by a liberal sort of commentariat who say, oh, you know, social media is full of misinformation. You're all idiots. All you do is, you know, react to stuff that isn't true that you see. And then, you know, I was doing a paper review the morning after um, the events took place in Nosley and had all these headlines from, you know, the Guardian and the mm. Independent and was um, saying far right protests and I was like struggling with the story thinking you know they had a line in it that said well patriotic allegiance or alliance whatever they're called the alternative alternative they are that you know um, set up by BNP founders have said that they're nothing to do with it. And yeah. I said, okay, so so who is? You know, like yeah, and you're yeah. struggling to find it and couldn't I think they were leafleting in the area or something. Yeah. Like and couldn't yeah. couldn't actually find out what had actually happened, even though I was reading news reports. And um, you know, the, uh, Tom's right, it's ridiculous to say that Suella Braverman um is to blame, but it's but you know, there definitely the government is um uh, holds a lot of blame because, you know, there is this this sort of unsustainable policy of 
basically without any kind of democratic um, cooperation with people living in a particular area with no respect for kind of community sensibilities. And by that, I don't mean, oh, these people are a bit anti-immigrant, we shouldn't put them there. And don't, and that's not true. I mean, you know, genuinely looking at resources in a community yeah. um, and, and saying, is this sort of feasible to, in one of the poorest areas in the UK, suddenly bring a load more people to live here? Um, the government just seems to be completely bl willfully blind to all that kind of thing. Uh, there's similar things happening in Ireland at the moment, actually, where, you know, there's a, um, there's a sort of local area where, there's been big plans for a in in Blessington, which is in County Wicklow, um, for a sort of sports, you know, planning permission in Ireland is hellish. And there's been years of planning into this, getting a sports centre and a pool and all the rest of it. And, you know, very, very quickly it's whipped away and is suddenly now going to be housing for refugees and they're Ukrainian refugees. And, you know, then the Irish government is shocked when people get a bit pissed off and that kind of thing. And a similar thing is happening, um, you know, in European countries where, without any consultation with citizens or any kind of democratic discussion, even at the level of sort of, you know, parliamentary debate, mm. that there, there is, there is no agreement that this is a thing that people want. And even for, you know, people who want to have, see a more liberal immigration system, the, this uh, sort of basically process of having, um, little to no understanding of how the asylum system works the basic even for the asylum seekers themselves facing living in these hotels mm. for you know months if not years because their file's been lost by some kind of home office civil servant none of it works and so it's no wonder that people get a bit pissed off i think um it's it's telling that actually no one really is actually making a pro-immigration case they're mm. saying their case is basically you're racist stop talking about it. Mm -hmm. And that's it. You know, whether it's the small boats crisis, whether it's the asylum crisis, mm. you know, it is clearly not a good thing to have 47,000 people then put into hotels um, who can't, are not allowed to do anything all day. We have an, it's not a good way to manage things, but you're not allowed to just talk about it. The only people that want to talk about it seemingly are maybe people who have bad intentions. Yep. We have an incredibly stringent um, immigration system in terms of the points-based system, which basically blocks the working class of the world from coming because so you have to have a PhD and all other kinds of things to be able to come and work and live and work in this country. And yet there seems to be an unending, and this is what you start to sound like sort of anti-immigrant person, even though, um, you know, I think we should have a more liberal approach to it, which is that you have this, people look at the, um, the number of people that are put up in hotels, the approach to the kind of small boat system and say, hang on a minute, like, what's going on here? There's just a feeling of, con of a, a lack of control. And what, so many people mistake the Brexit for is that Brexit vote for is this sort of anti-immigrant expulsion of kind of bile was actually an expression of can we have some kind of system of control here? We want to, you know, having sovereignty and national sovereignty means being able to know and control, um, you know, how many people are living in a nation. And you can, you know, once you have that control and once you understand that and you've got a grip on it, then you can come along and make the case for a more open system, or, uh, you know, a more liberal system. But at the moment, people, it just looks like to your average person, like, you know, Suella Braverman, any of the rest of them don't know what's going on, haven't a clue. And the, as you say, the only argument in town is shut up about it. And it's like the failures get pushed along the line as well, because I completely agree. Like, I think the prerequisite for a more liberal immigration system, a more generous asylum policy and so on, is control. The idea that the state has got a grip on this. And, you know, if you think about the hotels and the small boats problem, the fact that tens of thousands of people are making an incredibly dangerous crossing 
um, and that again when they arrive in Britain we don't necessarily know who they are it's very difficult to kind of maintain any kind of safety checks you know there have been mercifully rare but there have been kind of cases of former asylum seekers who go on to commit some heinous acts and so on Mm. and people are going to be upset about that it's ludicrous to suggest otherwise but what you have because there's that lack of control over the border the problem then gets pushed down the line we'll just stick them in hotels they can't do anything they can't work they can't do this they can't do that it's crap for them as well exactly and it's the sort of thing where and again because of the fact that when you do have such a dysfunctional system as of this it is going to lead and a dysfunctional system which is going to kind of breed a certain level of resentment also piled on top of the fact that the way in which disproportionately impoverished areas are being made to bear the brunt of this even though they're starved of resources in so many ways as soon as anyone kind of points out some of the cracks they're accused of racism Mm. or being some sort of troublemaker and you know we're relatively lucky the fact that the far right in this country is a is a pathetic sort of tiny group of people Mm. you know what i mean and that's a that's something that we that is 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 something that we shouldn't take for granted though because you'd never want to be in a situation where the only people willing to talk about certain things are the ones that actually say have nefarious intentions thank you for listening to the spike podcast we're back every friday and you can now watch us on video too check us out on youtube or go via the spiked website which is spiked-online.com see you next time